Hello, and welcome to Avatar the Podcast. We are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg, and guess what we're covering today? Uh, is there paint involved? I hope so. There may be paint. There may be a lady. There may be a river involved in today's episode. Yes. Are there purple tongues involved? I'm here for the purple tongues specifically. <laughs> you would be. Yes. You really enjoy the purple pentapuses, yes. so I'm not surprised. <laughs> We, of course, are going to be talking about the Painted Lady today, or as we like to call it, Katara Hood, the Guardian of Jang Hui. That's right. Before we jump into the episode, though, we have a couple things to go over. The first of which is an exciting piece of news. Greg, do you want to tell the listeners about it? Yes. So if you're into collectibles, specifically of the action figure variety, you might know of a small little toy company, manufacturer, whatever, called McFarlane Toys. Created by Todd McFarlane, originally, if I remember correctly, making a lot of Spawn toys. And they are known for mm-hmm. top-notch, grade-A molds and builds. And, and they're just the name of quality, or at least they were when I was paying attention to the toys. They are putting out an Avatar The Last Airbender series of action figures. Yeah. It is so cool. Now, looking at it, I'm going to be a little honest. It's not quite the uh, level of detail that I would like to expect from McFarlane for a couple of them, mainly Zuko, because he's got that stupid top knot. I hate it so much. (laughs) Aang looks a little puppety when we're talking a little bit off recording. Acorn brought up. But Sokka looks so cool. He's got such a like determined look on his face. He looks fierce. Katara's eyes look a little... She looks a little puffy, Katara's face. A little puffy. Yeah, a little puffy. Eyes are kind of big. Hair loopies really are kind of matted to her face. But otherwise, she looks good. Hair loopies are a little more hair droopies, but that's okay. (laughs) Yes. What looks the best, though, and what I'm looking forward to Hands down. Is the Appa toy. Oh, my God. I want it right now. I think I need that for my desk. I need it in my life. It looks like his mouth moves up and down. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Now, if they sell them all together, whatever, I guess that's fine. But if I can mix and match, I definitely want Sokka, no surprise there, and Appa. I'm disappointed that there is no Momo. I know. Why couldn't they have just like attached that to Appa? They're a package deal anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this is going to be series one. They're going to see how it sells. And then there was Mm -hmm. series two. Hopefully, Toph and Momo. Yes. Hopefully, hopefully. And an updated Zuko, for sure. But we'll see what happens. I could see them doing UA for a series, too, because there's a lot of opportunities for cool, flowy things with her character design. That's true. But there's also like... How important is UA to like your average viewer? Not like oh, us. I know. Not like us who go through every little detail <laughs> and find all the hidden meanings and everyone that listens to us as well, right? But like your yeah. average person. So like maybe an Iroh I would expect to see. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, another reason is because a lot of times companies will focus on the first season and really like kind of extrapolate on that. Yeah. So UA played a pretty big role at the end of season one. But you're right. I think... Before UA, they would probably consider Iroh, Azula, Ooh, yeah. maybe Ty Lee and mm, May. I don't know. Maybe. maybe, 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 maybe. I'm not saying, not trying to discount them, but I'm thinking yeah. like main plot, super important to like the main yep. people, right? And as much as I love May, eh, you know, 
I know. I can see it not being toy. Anyways, you can find more over on McFarland.com slash blog slash Avatar The Last Airbender coming McFarland Toys with uh, dashes in between all those words. We'll put a link in the show notes as well so you can follow that. But it looks really cool. I'm excited for it. They say that it's coming soon. You won't have to wait 100 years before you can pre-order this awesome first wave. So they are planning uh-huh. multiple waves. There we go. If you, Greg, if you just read yeah. what you put in the doc, you would know that this is a first wave and your theory is correct. Awesome. So uh, as soon as we learn more and pre-order dates come up, we will let everyone know. Yes. Yeah. Especially if we find out that you can buy them individually because you can be sure Appa's going to be my first purchase. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, also, I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast. They've released some other pop figurines that are Avatar themed. They did? Oh, I think I saw this, but I forget. You have to remind me. You sent it to me. It was the Avatar State. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. There is an Avatar State Aang pop figure coming up. It looks super cool. It looks so cool. I cannot wait. While everyone knows that Aang is not my favorite Avatar Last Airbender character, people should know that if I'm a fan of it, I'm buying pop figures of it. Yeah. Like that's just what's happening. So on top of the already plethora of Avatar The Last Airbender Funko Pops, if you weren't aware, there's plenty of Zuko's, Iro's, Aang's, Aang with a Momo on his head, Sokka, Katara, the whole deal. There's even a cabbage merchant. There's a cabbage merchant. They are adding so many more to the arsenal. If these ones have not even already come out. So it looks like we have a Kyoshi to look forward to. A Zhao. Mm-hmm. If you don't know this, you are not going to believe what Zhao is holding in his left hand. <laughs> is it a bagged fish? It's a bag with what I assume to be the corpse of a spirit in the fish form. Yikes. In it. <laughs> oh, no. You, of course, have a Tylee and Avatar Aang mastering all four elements in a supersized pop, which is usually much larger. And of course, you have your Hot Topic exclusive Blue Spirit, your Amazon exclusive Zhao, who is not holding the fish, but holding a fireball. And his palette looks a little muted a little bit to me on that picture. Yeah, I think it might be the, the picture taken. Fair enough, fair enough. May, a couple more Avatar Aangs, one, one with a metallic finish to it. With to his arrow, which looks really cool. And of course, the Avatar, the last airbender, Ang Spirit Glow in the Dark exclusive, which looks amazing. Or, or this is my new thing I like to say. And I don't remember where I said it for the first place, but I'm going to start using it from now on. It looks Ang amazing. Oh, wow. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what also looks amazing? What? This random pop figure wall display that I just found. I'm going to link it to you here and we will also include this in our show notes for those interested. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it's so cool. There's a couple versions, different kinds of wood. It's made by an Etsy seller called Butler Craft Co. And it's a really cute shelf used for avatar pop figurines. So if you're a huge pop figurine person and you like to collect them and put them on display, not inside the boxes, if you are one of those people who likes to unbox your pops. Not me. I know, not you. Not me. (laughs) This is a really cool shelf that you can consider getting. Funko says that you can... I read this somewhere on the internet, so I don't know how true it is. It must be true. It's on the internet. Funko says (laughs) that you can take your pops out of the box and it does not decrease value. That's what they say. 
a lot of their boxes for normal size figures are actually not sealed. Interesting. You know, they can say that. They can say that But all it they also want. goes against like decades of collectible yes. knowledge. Yes. I don't think any collectors are going to hear that. No. Nope. <laughs> like agree and go, oh, okay, oh, I'll sure. just open up all my figurines. I've only opened up one of my Funko Pops and it's uh-huh. my Mandalorian one because he's bigger and he just yeah. took up too much space. So I just opened him and I put him on display. But that's it. That's all you get. Maybe, maybe my Grogu one. We'll see. We'll oh see. my gosh. We'll see. we'll see. Anyways, now we're just talking about Star Wars, which means that we have to move on to the five star reviews. Yeah. The first one comes from nickname 22334. And they write, I love this podcast. I'm kind of glad I started listening a little late because I don't have to wait every week, but know when I'm caught up, I'm sad and I'll have to wait every week. My MVP is Toph Beifong. Yay! But I think it's time to address the bad boy of the show. This 12-year-old kid jumps out of an ice bubble and asks the first girl he sees out on a date to infiltrate a new territory <laughs> only to throw a dance party. Then he masters all four elements in less than a year. And when it comes to the final fight... Oh, here's spoilers. I'm not going to read this next part. But there is a final fight. I think everyone should, should probably have known that. Guess that. Wow. When you put it in that perspective, like think, yeah. think of it from Katara's point of view. True. It's just like, wow, I met this kid like a month ago and now we're traveling the world together relatively unsupervised. <laughs> yeah. The good thing Aang is Aang and not like Ozai. Yeah. Not a troublemaker. Yeah. Not a little ruffian. Yeah, I know. But wow. Yeah. So nickname, whoever you are out there. Thank you so much for the five-star review. And thank you for putting a different spin on that perspective of Aang's origin and the origin of Team Avatar. (laughs) I can't stop laughing about it. It's really funny. Okay, let's go to the next (laughs) one before I lose myself. Yes, our second review comes from Foretold Kobold, and it's titled Love, Love, Love. Absolutely love this podcast and the chance to listen to deep diving conversations about one of my favorite shows. Of course, as a huge nerd, I have my own headcanons that conflict with what I've heard so far as I've listened. Personally, I believe Azula as a prodigy surgically bends specific gases to react in the air with usually combusted oxygen to create her blue flames, rather than the salt of her sweat mixing into her bending as different salts make varied colors, and that it allows her more available fuel to burn in her surroundings if one has the OCD level focus. But this pod is definitely high quality nerd talk that I cherish dearly. Thank you, Greg and Acorn, so very much for reinvigorating my love of the show. Wouldn't that just make Azula an airbender if she's bending gases? That is a good point. Yes, I think it would fall closer to the airbending realm than firebending. But I guess it depends on the combustion involved. Fair enough. So we'll say this. Azula, airbender? Or firebender. You decide. (laughs) Yep. What a crazy theory. I actually, I'm sad that we didn't catch this before our last Avatar episode because we went over fan theories and talked about Azula's blue flames. We did. So really cool theory. Very creative. And if you haven't caught our Avatar episode yet, it is up on YouTube. If you want to go over to youtube.com slash Avatar the podcast. If you're a Twitch viewer, you can also check it out over on the Geek Generation. We are going to be hosting Avatalks the last Friday of every month. Mm-hmm. And each episode is going to be a different theme. Mm-hmm. I just did the math too. The one that we do in January will be the day before my birthday. Oh, 
So I'm excited about that one. I don't know what it's going to be about because that's like 50 million years. By 50 million years, I mean months, a couple months down the line. But still, <laughs> just a couple months. Just a couple months. But still. Well, you know what? If it's going to be the day before your birthday, you get to decide the topic. I don't want to. It's too much pressure. <laughs> but it's going to be your birthday. I know. You can decide what we want to talk about. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, if we don't do it before then, then I have a good idea. What will it be? Okay. You'll have to wait until January to find out. <laughs> the next five-star review comes from the JC Fish, a.k.a. Chris. And Chris writes, wow, 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 wow. I've been looking forward to reading that one. <laughs> Recently, I have been dreading my work days because of its tedious, repetitive process. But ever since I found Avatar, the podcast, my days at work have been great. I just finished the Secret Tunnel episode and bought my Appa pin. Oh, thank you. <gasps> Yay. Thank you. You all make me want to start my own podcast because it just sounds like you have so much fun. It's all in editing. We actually yell at each other the entire time and Rob has to edit all of that out. It's <laughs> miserable. Anyways, just kidding. Just kidding. Just it's a joke. Relax. I gotta say, my favorites are probably Sokka, Momo, and I know, I know, probably shouldn't choose the main character, but Aang. The reason I love Aang is because I can relate to him in many ways. That and also he is an absolute powerhouse. Well, I mean, Chris, as the avatar, I would assume that he would be an absolute powerhouse. <laughs> anyway, I have one question for you all. If you had the choice and you could only choose between one of the two, would you take Uncle Iroh's tea or Monk Gyatso's pie? Keep up the great work. Ciao, Hotman, Chris. Oh, my God. Uh, that, that's an unfair question. It's unfair based on the time of the year that we're reading this right now because it is hot. It is 90 degrees <laughs> right now. And if I'm, I'm not having tea, so I'm going with the pie. Well, think of it this way. Yeah. Let's say you were in a beautiful tea house garden under cherry blossoms with a cool spring breeze. And Iroh himself was serving you tea. Oh, I wouldn't be mad about that. That compared to a slice of Monkeyazzo's famous fruit pies. Do I get to launch the fruit pies at Air Nomads nearby and then do lemurs? I would say then? yes. Okay. Now we're getting into a real, real Sophie's <laughs> choice right now. Think of it this way. Yeah. Since you'd be getting the pies from the monks who make this as part of their day, I believe you would get one pie to eat and one pie to throw. Okay. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say the tea because I'm favoring the pies right now because A, it's really hot, but B, I also haven't had like something sweet in a very long time. So I'm really craving that. But I know that if mm -hmm. this was under normal circumstances and if it was between the two, Get rid of my biases that I currently have. I'm sticking with Uncle Iroh's tea and hope that I get to play some pie show. Oh, there you go. A friendly game of pie show with a cup of tea. Yes. 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 That sounds perfect. Yes. Okay. Well, because you chose the tea, I will choose the pies okay. because I was leaning towards that. And I think um, I think I could use a nice pie in a monk's face right now yeah. after yeah. <laughs> after the couple months I've been having. That sounds like a good time. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be... That would be my choice. Well, here, here's what we'll do. I'll get the tea, but then I'll sneak a little cup under the table and I'll hold it for you. And then you get a little takeout <laughs> container and then we'll meet Perfect. in the middle and we'll swap and we get both. Perfect. There we go. That's a plan. <laughs> uh, Chris, thank you so much for the five-star review. We super appreciate it. And that brings us to the three five-star reviews that we're reading for this episode. Tune in next week 
when we will be reading three more. Yeah. Yes. From here, let's jump right into the episode. The Painted Lady was written by Joshua Hamilton and directed by Ethan Spaulding. We join Team Avatar as they float down a polluted river somewhere on the outskirts of the Fire Nation. While Sokka, Toph, and Katara hang out on Appa, Aang plays hide-and-seek with Momo in the quote-unquote water. It's not really water. It's pretty sludgy. When he hops back into Appa's saddle, he's covered in sludge and tells the others that he thinks the river's polluted. He uses airbending to blast the sludge off of him and then again to blast the spatter off of his friends. Well, that explains why I can't catch a fish around here, Sokka says, because normally my fishing skills are off the hook. Get it? Like a fishing hook? (laughs) I've been waiting so many episodes for a terribly awesome pun. From Sokka himself, From Sokka himself specifically. And it's finally here. It's finally here. And it made you laugh. Oh, man. Every time. Every time. Because it's, if you need to know, if you're going to deliver a pun, here's just like Greg's pun delivery 101. Oh, my God. You have to lead up to it with an inflection upwards and then pause and then wait to see if everyone gets it and then explain it, whether you're verbally (laughs) explaining it or you're miming it out or you're using a prop. It doesn't matter as evidence in this one. Sokka says off the hook and then shows the hook, thus explaining the joke, thus making it, I would say, 72% more effective. (laughs) Even with that extra 72%, the others do not laugh Mm -mm. at this pun. Mm -mm. They actually don't laugh until Toph replies. Too bad your skills aren't on the hook. I think she was uh, really fishing for a pun on that one. Get it? Wow. Because they were fishing and hooked. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I get it, Greg. See? You're right. You're right. It does enhance the funny. There you go. 72% more funny. You're welcome. Oh, my God. Katara comments that they'll need to go somewhere else to get food, assuming that will fit into Sokka's master schedule. Sokka rolls out said master schedule on a long scroll. Aang points out a fishing village up ahead and suggests they look for food there. They hide Appa under a blanket of grass to make him look like a hill with horns, and the gang heads to a cliff overlooking the fishing village. One of the locals, Doc, greets them from his boat and asks who they are. Katara tells them they're from the Earth Kingdom colonies, and Doc offers to give them a ride into town. As they move across the water, they catch sight of the nearby Fire Nation factory. Doc tells them the factory moved in a few years ago and started gunking up their river. Now their village is struggling to survive. Fun quick fact about Sokka's master schedule. That's actually a production schedule that was used by the animators to plan out the episodes and the seasons. Oh my God. So cool. Which is really funny. Uh, And that's a nice little like inside joke for the team that worked on it. Like those are always the best I've found. They sneak something in there and only they would really notice until, you know, someone picks it apart or they release that information later. Casting note to the voice of Doc and his two brothers is none other than Paul Eiding, who is also the voice of May's father. Oh. So to see what else he was in, please refer to the Return to Omashu episode. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. And of course, the village they're heading to is the Jenghui village, Mm -hmm. which is on the Jenghui River. And I found out that they're actually on the outer portion of the Fire Nation. The Fire Nation itself is an island, but there's also collections of islands around it. 
So they're off of the Jenghui River, but it's near this band of outer islands. And Jenghui itself translates to Gray River in Chinese, probably not pronounced that way again, I'm sorry, um, but it references the appearance of the surrounding river when it's not polluted. Mm. I'm just going to say this right here so I can not forget to mention this. There are many times in this episode where I forget that this is the Fire Nation and we're not in the Earth Kingdom. Exactly. I know. It's so green. It's so, and yeah, it's so rural. Earth King to me. Like, I don't know what I was expecting going into the Fire Nation. I think just like all folk volcanoes and fire and everything just yep. perpetually burning and gas. Basically Mordor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or like Mars, I guess. <laughs> yes. Mordor meets Mars. Mars door, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> And when we're in this village, it's just all green. And I don't know. I just like the people also gave me like a very friendly vibe, which up until this point, most of the Fire Nation people that we've met are soldiers and are pretty mean and nasty, except for Iroh. So it's very interesting to see like normal, quote unquote, Fire Nation citizens. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's part of the point of making this episode because they wanted to paint the picture of the Fire Nation's conquests having a negative effect on their citizens, too. Yeah. And that is the outcome of war sometimes. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of inspiration that was drawn for this episode, actually. Michael Dante DiMartino suggested that they make this village be floating after seeing a real village on the water, I think during his travels. And then the effects of the Fire Nation factory are similar to the effects of the Chiso Corporation's mercury poisoning in Minamata's villages and wildlife in Japan. Another example that bears some resemblance is the pollution of China's Huai River by chemical and smelting plants. So that one is definitely a little bit closer to the situation here because there actually is a smelting plant next to the Jenghui River. But the extreme pollution led to blackened water in China, near total loss of wildlife, including fish and several diseases brought about by polluted air and water. Mm. So it was a pretty big problem. And I hope they had their own painted lady to get through it and clean up the river eventually. Yeah, really. Like our heroes did in the show. Yeah. But Team Avatar gets to the fishing village only to find its inhabitants downtrodden and lethargic. The site touches Katara, who tells the others they have to do something to help. No, we can't waste our time here. We have a bigger mission to focus on. These people are on their own, Sokka tells his sister. Katara asks him how he can be so cold and heartless, to which Sokka replies that he's just being realistic. They can't help every rinky-dink town they wander into. By taking out the Fire Lord, they'll be helping them all. Toph interjects and suggests they should be a little quieter when talking about taking out the Fire Lord. Aang agrees that they should get what they came for and leave, and Katara reluctantly goes along with the plan. What Sokka mentions about not being able to help everyone mm-hmm. and like kind of like this greater good mentality is very much a heavy superhero theme, specifically Superman. Yeah. So that was very interesting to kind of see that pop up in, in Avatar where you have two sides of this argument where it's like, well, I'm here to help everyone. But helping everyone isn't necessarily helping everyone at that moment. Yep. And coming to grips with the fact that you actually can't help everyone. It's impossible. You're going to let someone down. And the sooner you come to grips with that, the better you will be emotionally, which means you'll be able to do more good because it'll be less distracted Mm -hmm. is usually how that goes. Yeah. I thought that was a really good argument to illustrate the concept of we both want to help 
just in different ways. You yes. want to help now with this smaller group of people. I want to help later, but have its impact affect more. I thought that was a really strong conflict to have because you have these characters wanting to go about the same goal in different ways and on different timelines too. Yeah. So yeah. I also... <laughs> when watching this episode, I was thinking about how very much we are like Katara and Sokka here. Because yeah. I could hear your advice in what Sokka says, and I could hear my own usual desires and what Katara was saying is like, I gotta help. I gotta help these people. I gotta do all the things. That's that's very much an acorn trait. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's when Sokka was talking about this, I also was like taken aback a little bit about how much he had grown just from when we even mm -hmm. last saw him in the last episode. Like this is a very, in my opinion, and this is going to sound like an attack on Acorn and I promise you it's not, but it's, it's to me, <laughs> to me, it sounds like a very adult and mature, just like, okay, let's bide our time and let's stick to the plan. This is the plan we came up with. Let's like do this because we know this is going to result in the most good. Meanwhile, Katara can't stand to see people struggling. So wants mm -hmm. to help immediately and deviate from the plan a bit. Yep. For sure. It's very much not quite the beginning of Mastermind Sokka, but like it's like the first real emergence that we've seen. We've seen him hatch plans before and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And they have to like go on the fly, right? Like on the drill, for example, they had to kind of like adjust on the fly as they went. But this is clear cut Sokka, the strategist right now. Yes, absolutely. You can really see his development as a character here. And it's cool to think back and think of everything that he's gone through to get to this point. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the drill, he went through loss with UA mm -hmm. and he's also helped in a lot of different ways too, working with the Northern Water Tribe's military mm. by going through the experiences in Ba Sing Se. So yes, you can really see him kind of coming into his own here. Katara, meanwhile, I feel like has grown as a bender first and foremost, and a lot of her emotional maturity is coming from that source. Yeah, so she's still yeah. very focused on helping in the here and now, which is a trait that she's always had. Yeah, yeah. The group encounters Doc again at a food stall, except their new friend introduces himself as Shu, Doc's brother. This is confusing because the only different thing about the man standing before them is he's wearing a different hat. This Shu presents his fish to the gang and offers to give them a clam on the house if they buy three fish. Sokka peers closely at the clams in the box and presses on one of its shells, which makes River Sludge seep out of it. The others recoil, disgusted, and Sokka tells Shu, we'll just take the fish. He asks the fish seller if he can tell his brother that they need another lift. Shu disappears behind the stall for a moment and reappears with his original hat, then greets them as if he hasn't seen them for a while. Hey, colonials. It's wacky. Absolutely <laughs> wacky. This always makes me laugh. If you're wondering, so Doc makes sense. He says, you know, my, my brother's name is Doc. He works the docks. He goes, my name is Shu because I work at shops. And they're like, that doesn't make sense. Hmm? Uh, Shu, according to Google, is a monetary unit of Vietnamese money. Oh, interesting. So Shu is like a, the equivalent of like a quarter to a dollar. Not like yeah. math wise, but you know what I mean. Uh, it's equal to mm -hmm. one one hundredth of a dong. So I guess it would be a penny in that regard. Yeah. I mean, just the concept that it's a form of money. Yes. And he's a shopkeeper. That's that's really cool. Yes. That's where I was going with that. So it does make sense. Just not to Team Avatar at the time. Yes. 
And we're not going to meet the third quote unquote brother, Bushi, until the end of the episode. But Bushi is similar to the Chinese word, which means unwell. And this is a fitting reference because it's kind of obvious that Doc is not mentally well. <laughs> and there's yeah. something going on there. Yeah. And actually, it's suggested that Doc slash Shu slash Bushi's mental dysfunction was caused by drinking the polluted water from the Jiangui River, mm. which, of course, is where the nearby Fire Nation Army factory has been spilling harmful toxins. So that is pretty much the source of his split personality, per se, mm -hmm. which also kind of goes back to the fun fact we just learned about regarding China's Huai River mm. and how it was being polluted by chemicals from the smelting plants. Yes, yes. A small boy runs up to Katara and asks if they can spare some food. Katara hands him one of their three fish and says sadly, I wish I could help more. She watches the boy run back to his sick mother and sadly turns to leave. Later that night, the team prepares drinking water by bending clean water out of the sludge and into a large pot over the fire to boil. Sokka tells them they have a lot of ground to make up after this detour. It looks like they'll need to wake up 43 minutes earlier each day. They only have a few weeks to get to the Fire Lord in time for the eclipse, which, by the way, only lasts for eight minutes. This is also very much in line of what we were talking yep. about with Sokka the Mastermind. Yep. He's got it all boiled down to the minute. <laughs> it's <Yes>. crazy. <laughs> it's all total play by play. Yeah. When Toph refuses to wake up early, Sokka is struck by a great idea. They could take their food breaks and potty breaks at the same time. It just makes sense, folks. It just makes sense. <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. It's actually kind of funny. So everyone knows that I was sick last episode. I'm a lot better. Thank you for asking. But <laughs> I lost my appetite almost completely. And the amount of stuff oh, no. that I got done just by not eating was like, like, it was like, I was like, I can't believe I got all this done. I did so many stuff for my stream. I did so much stuff for the podcast. I was just like, I'm on a roll here. And I'm just like not eating meals, <laughs> just withering away. I'm not, I'm not withering away, actually, but it was just like crazy. So like Sokka's just trying to consolidate time here. And, you know, if yep. food comes in, it can also go out at the same time. That's all. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> the rest of the group has the proper response, which is, ew. <laughs> um, this is the first time that we hear any sort of reference to how long they have during the eclipse. Or how long the eclipse lasts, I should say. So this is like the first time they drop that eight minute knowledge. Yeah, which is not long at all. No, it's not. It's not an hour. Mm -mm. It's not half an hour. It's not even 10 minutes. It is eight minutes long until the firebenders can get their firebending power back. So that that's a small window to get some stuff done. I'd be very curious and no one tell me if this is actually the case because I want to see this on my own time. I'd be very curious if that fight lasts actual real life eight minutes on that last episode. It sounds like what the production team would do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like time that out and show moment by moment what actually happens during the the invasion. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That's what I would love that. But I mean, because that's half an episode right there, essentially. Mm -hmm. So we'll see when we get to the episode. No one tell me. But that's kind of where my thought process is right now. <laughs> yep. Only a couple episodes away. <laughs> The next morning, Appa isn't looking too good. Mm. Sokka is distraught because this will push their schedule back even more. Toph suggests that he got sick from the polluted water. When Appa yawns, they see that his tongue is purple. Katara suggests he needs medicine and maybe they can find the right herbs in town. This part makes me 
overall, this episode, this is going to be a little interjection right here. Overall, this episode, I liked it when I first saw it the first time. I liked it the first time I rewatched it for the podcast. But every time after that, I like this episode less and less because there's inconsistencies in the characters. This is the first one. Appa's sick. Sokka's distraught. He's very worried. And I think it's Toph or Katara or someone says, like, why do you care? Essentially, that's like kind of the gist of it. And it's like, are you serious? Who spends, other than Aang, who spends the most time with Appa? (laughs) I would argue that once Appa is comfortable with Sokka steering him, that he spends Mm -hmm. more time with Sokka than Aang. I think that's a good argument. Who else has given Appa toe scrubbies? Exactly. Like we've seen nothing but like the Sokka Appa comedy duo. Yep. Who gets more licks than Sokka does? Yes. Aside from Aang. Yes. I mean, Aang also has like years and years of growing up with him. Mm-hmm. So, but like still they they make this argument of just like, oh, you only care because it's about your schedule. And it's like, no, that's not true. Or they, they say like, when did he start to care so much? And it's just like, it gets me so mad because the attention to detail in this writing is usually so good that they don't like sacrifice things for the sake of a quick joke. And they did here. And it just like irks me. Maybe it's because it's against Sokka too. Maybe because I'm totally biased in that regard. (laughs) But this and there's a couple other things that pop up and I'll point them out as they happen. But for me, it just kind of like rubbed me the wrong way. And every time I watch these episodes, that's all I can focus on. Yeah, no, I don't blame you at all. That is something that after watching their group dynamic grow in a certain way over the last couple of seasons, it seems a little jarring to hear because it's like, this is not news. We already know how close Sokka and Appa is. So why would you suggest that? Yeah. This episode was written by Joshua Hamilton, who has written a couple episodes before this one, including The Cave of Two Lovers. My favorite one. The Chase. Yeah. And The Serpent's Pass. Yeah. I I know he's not like a new writer, but like it just seemed so, I don't know, unlike the team. Out of character. Yeah. Out of character. Unlike the team to pull this one out. But you know what? Again, it's the most picky of being picky. And I understand that. It is. And and it's nice that you have to be this picky. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. But that's my soapbox. I will get off of it for the moment. <laughs> when the team reaches Jianghui Village, things seem different. Children are playing. People are more active. And the atmosphere of the town has lifted. Shu at the fishing stall tells them that food was delivered last night by the town's benevolent river spirit, the Painted Lady. See, we don't need to help these people, Sokka tells Katara. They already have someone to help them. He asks Shu for medicine, and Shu tells them all their medicine goes to the factory. That's why there are so many sick people in the village. The group decides to stay another night to let Appa rest. Mm-hmm. That night, a mysterious figure glides across the water in a cloud of vapor and enters the village. The spirit goes to the medical hut and heals the sick, including the mother of the child from the other day. The little boy sees the spirit leaving and runs after her. Thank you, painted lady, he says. The spirit looks up and we see that it's Katara in disguise. She leaps back onto the water and silently glides away. This is, again, another, this is a storytelling thing where I, me, Greg, master storyteller, said no one ever. (laughs) I would have left the reveal that it's Katara until much later in the episode. For me, it's just kind of like burying the lead a little bit. Yeah, except the next scene is when she's found out. So I guess 
for these episodes being as short as they are, it kind of had to have been here. Not really, because they could have just had the reveal be Aang finding out and they could have written around it a little bit differently. So then when you rewatch it on the like the next go around, you can see all these little things pop up again, might be a little too much for kids show. So they probably are keeping that in mind. We're like, all right, let's tell them what they know and then tell them again and then remind them. That's usually like the, the speech writers credo, so to speak. But I don't know. For me, I was just like, just let this just don't tell me it's Katara right now. Just don't just let me imagine yeah. it's someone else. It, it was said in Avatar extras. So like this it may or may not be canon, but it's definitely interesting that the painted lady is a water spirit and that the moon spirit and water spirit are closely related. So that would so mean she knows you way. So she either knows or maybe related to you potentially. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, no, I like that. I know Avatar extras is if you weren't aware something that aired live on Nickelodeon back when Avatar was first coming out. And it was a, a fun little interactive showing of the show where the episode would play out. And on the bottom of the screen, there would be little fun facts. And some of them were cheeky. Some of them were had little tongue in cheek comments or jokes. But then other times there were actual facts. So it's tough to say which one's which. Yeah. But I like the thought of that, how the painted lady, the spirit would know of or be related to the moon spirit. And we all know how nomadic the water tribe can be from time to time. And they're mm-hmm. not they're not against splitting off from their respective homes and starting up new civilizations, as we've seen with the swamp people, right? The swamp benders. So yeah. who's to say that? A long time ago, the painted lady was a waterbender who just migrated to the Fire Nation mm-hmm. and helped there under the guise of a spirit or and then maybe eventually became a spirit herself. It's funny you say that yeah. because I did find a fun fact about the painted lady. Okay. According to a DVD commentary for actually a Korra episode Ooh. in book two, they note that the painted lady was originally a human that lived before the third century BG. She had a close relationship, and that's also before genocide. Mm-hmm. She had a close relationship with nature and a strong connection to the spirits. Due to her spirituality, she transcended into the spirit world following her death and became the painted lady. There you go. Look at that. There you go. I like when my head cannon starts to become <laughs> becomes real cannon. Real cannon. <laughs> yeah. It makes me feel good inside. Yeah. You know, you, you do this enough. You start yeah. picking things up, <laughs> exactly. even subconsciously. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The following day, when the group is buying more food from Shu, the shopkeeper tells them of another visit by the painted lady. She healed many of the village's sick, and the village people are downright festive now. In the center of the village, a statue of the spirit is being erected. When Katara is admiring the hope and joy she brought to the village, Sokka takes a more realistic approach. He says he hopes the painted lady can come every night, otherwise the townspeople won't be able to fend for themselves. If the painted lady really wanted to help them, she'd blow up the factory and end the pollution. Sokka mimes the spirit energy required for something like that, and Aang comically critiques him. <laughs> I love this part so much. It's got <laughs> the, the mouth sound effects, like the miming of the, of the uh-huh. spirit energy. It's so funny. It's classic Sokka. It's so good. This moment is also a really great gif where Aang's like, actually, it's more like, mm-hmm. and it shows him doing like this noodle dance. It's so good. (laughs) Here, though, it's interesting because the statue they're putting up of the painted lady, the position of the hands on that statue is the Vitarka Mudra, which is a gesture of discussion and teaching that can be found on some real world statues of Buddhas. 
Yes. Yeah. I've definitely seen that before out in the world and throughout random internet holes that I fall into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very iconic, I think, for um, the statues of the Buddhas yeah. in particular. Sure. That night, Katara dons her painted lady disguise for a third time. She puts on a ragged cloak held together at the waist and neck with fishing rope, a wide-brimmed straw hat with gauzy veil, and the iconic red markings and moon symbol on her face that are painted with the help of a water-bended mirror. As she's sneaking out of camp, however, Momo wakes and sees her. His stirring wakes Aang, who also spots her. Thinking he's seen the painted lady, he chases after her, calling for her help in healing Appa, and trying to vouch for himself by saying he's the great bridge between their two worlds. And he knows Heibai. Hey! We're close personal friends. <laughs> <laughs> he follows her across the river by bending small ice floes to hop across and then through the village by running along the rooftops. Quick thing before we move on. Yeah. This is a blink and you'll miss it moment. This is the first time that we've seen Aang wear his headband as the sash that it's intended to be, as the belt that it's intended to be. That is such a small detail. Great catch. You'll see that when he's sleeping, it's on his waist, and then he ties it around his head as he's chasing after uh, the painted lady. Something else I want to bring up is he says he's close personal friends with Heibai. He's only met Heibai that he remembers twice. Yes. (laughs) For maybe a couple minutes. Best friendship. Yes. You know, obviously. So that would be... The the first time where it was hey by Zilla, I'll just call him like that, and he was terrorizing that poor <laughs> town, right? Yes. Then there was Siege of the North Part Two, I believe, where he went to the spirit world and he saw hey by again. That's the two times he remembers. The third time, yeah. which he doesn't remember, is in the Escape from the Spirit World episode. Which, if you've listened to all the episodes of Avatar the podcast, you know that that's the bridge in between books two and three. And Aang mm-hmm. has no memory of that meeting whatsoever. So the fact that he's like, yeah, yeah, he's just name dropping someone. That's like someone saying like, like meeting Brad Pitt twice randomly uh-huh. and be like, I know Brad Pitt. <laughs> he's a good dude. We're, we're great best, friends. We're best we're friends. Buds. Me and Brad. I call him Brad. I call him, <laughs> yeah. I call him BP is what I call him. Brad Pitt. <laughs> I don't know why I focus on Brad Pitt, but I did. But that's like, that's kind of what he's doing. And it's so funny that he's name dropping. And he's also like sort of humble bragging a little bit. He goes, hey, a little bit. it's yep. me. I'm the, I'm the bridge between our worlds. It's just like, yeah. come on, dude. It's so funny. <laughs> it's actually a little uncomfortable to watch him interacting with Katara like yes. a complete stranger. Yes. Because you're right. He is like humble bragging. He's like name dropping yep. and being like, hey, 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 look at me. Wait, wait, <laughs> let's talk to me. So funny. <laughs> Yeah. He chases her all the way, though, to the other side of the river by the factory. Mm -hmm. And this is where he officially introduces himself as the Avatar. Katara, trying to conceal her identity, takes on a mysterious voice and tells him she can't talk because she's very busy. (laughs) He's like, yeah, me too. You know, you're really pretty for a spirit. I don't meet too many spirits, but the ones I do meet, not very attractive. I mean, he's met Ko. And he's met Heibai. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Technically, Roku. And Yue. Yeah. But Roku is like, he wasn't, I mean, I guess neither is the the spirit either, the painted lady. But like, Roku was a person before he was a spirit. Yes. Oh, okay. Actually, no, you're right. You're onto something here. Avatar Roku. Yep. Fang. Yep. Heibai. Yep. Ko. Yep. The baboon spirit. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the baboon spirit. And like, that's it, I think. So he, he's never met. An attractive young woman spirit before that he remembers, yes. that he remembers. Yeah. So interesting. That's so funny. Yeah. Katara, meanwhile, laughs nervously 
and Aang peers more closely at her, insisting she looks really familiar. Before she can leave, he bends the hat and veil off of her head and recognizes his friend. Um, Sorry, Zutara shippers, but the uh-huh. fact that Aang finds Katara attractive without knowing that she's Katara or like having that feeling that maybe she is like this just cements Aang <laughs> and Katara so much more for me. I loved it. At first, I was like, you're hitting on a random spirit right now, pal. Like, what would your not-girlfriend think about this? But then it is his not-girlfriend, so... It, it is his not-girlfriend. It works. It works. <laughs> I love that designation. <laughs> Aang's not-girlfriend. Yes. Katara explains she started helping the village as herself, but then eventually became the painted lady because its inhabitants thought it was her coming night after night. She admits that Appa isn't really sick, but maybe sick of the purple berries she's been feeding him. I can't believe you lied to everyone so you could help these people, Aang says. Katara looks down and agrees that she shouldn't have. But then Aang says, no, it's great. It's like you're a secret hero. He agrees to help her destroy the factory, which is what she was setting out to do that night. And the two of them make their way into the heart of the factory. They use water bending to cut through metal chains holding up vats of liquid metal and earth bending to destroy pipes. Finally, Katara bends a massive wave through the windows to flood the work area, which leads to an explosion that stops the drainage into the river. Okay, real quick. Another thing slightly out of character. Katara is essentially poisoning. I'm being dramatic. Essentially poisoning (laughs) Appa to get her way. That does not seem very maternal to me, like Katara typically has been. Yeah. My headcanon, just because I feel like there's been similar conspiratorial scenes with Appa before. Mm. My headcanon is she came to Appa when he was alone and she held the berries and she's like, hey, buddy, I have a treat, but I need something from you. Can you act sick? And because Uh... Appa is like... You know, he can understand yeah. the, the team. He can kind of interact in his bison way. He was like, okay, I'll do that for a treat. I didn't think that way. I just thought she fed him. My first thought was much more dramatic than that. My first thought is she found berries that she knew to be semi-poisonous, but not Like give him an upset stomach. Yeah. yeah. So like she just kind of fed him that as a treat. And I was like, oh, you betrayer. <laughs> you monster. You monster. And then on the third rewatch, I was like, well, maybe she just overfed him. And that's why he's so lethargic. And it just so happens to be turning his tongue purple. Uh, and that yeah. was like still a little like upsetting to me because it's out of character for her. But I guess like he knows enough to understand, but he doesn't fully understand either because we kind of like, I don't know. He understands more than Momo does. That's true. We've seen. That's very true. <laughs> we've seen in um in the Blue Spirit yeah. how Momo just does not understand at all. Everyone oh. sounds like Peanuts characters to him. But for Appa, I feel like he can understand a little bit more. And also when we first saw that his tongue was purple, he was lying on his side and like moaning. And Katara is like, oh, no, it looks like he's sick. So I kind of felt that was the conspiratorial moment where she was like, all right, Appa, you're on. Go. Okay, All right. I can wrap my head around that headcanon. But still, it's like a little. It was distressing at first. Yeah. And it's very unlike her, even with like the other train of thoughts, too. So and also to have Mm -hmm. Appa go along with that. I don't know what Appa's motivation would be to go along with. Now I'm talking about the motivation of <laughs> Appa. That's how deep we gotten so far. If you're no, I, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. Cause I mean, same, it doesn't really show that. And while Appa does like snacks, I think Momo likes snacks more. Yes. It would do things for food 
more so. Yes. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, that's at least what I was thinking. All right. Well, I can get behind that. Not 100%, but I can get behind that just so we can move on to the mm-hmm. rest of the episode. But that was another thing where I was just like, I don't know what's going on with the writing on this. It gets so good. And then it gets like these dips. Ugh. I don't yeah. know. Anyways. Another quick reminder about using water bending to cut through metal. Mm. This is the third time we've seen characters do this in the show. The first time was when Koizilla, or Aang and La, destroyed one of the Fire Nation ships in the Siege of the North Part 2. Mm-hmm. And the second was in the drill when Aang and Katara weakened the braces of the drill on the inside before it broke down outside of Basingse's wall. So I like the concept that they're continuing to use that technique to sabotage things related to the Fire Nation. Yep. And it also seems like they're very practiced at this point. It was like one shot of water went through multiple chains and broke those vats. Mm. So they're getting good at this. They are. They are. Something else to note really quickly. Katara is actually the third character in the series to undergo another alias to achieve a goal. We all know the first person oh, is Zuko, right? Zuko is the blue spirit. The second is Toph, as we all know, who is the blind bandit. So that mm-hmm. makes Katara number three. And this is a trend that does not go away, if I remember correctly, based on what happens in Korra. Yes. And in the comics, okay. Azula takes on a disguise as well. So again, I love the concept of reusing these concepts yes. and these like storytelling mechanics. Yes. Yeah, totally. It's the sign of good world building. You introduce a new thing and you keep it in your pocket for later. Mm-hmm. You have to explain it less the next time. And the more you use it, the more it becomes part of your world, the more you can let it just slide and then work on yes. building up the next thing. We talked about that a lot in book one, if you all remember. Yes. Be careful with the blasting jelly. <laughs> Be careful with the blasting jelly. I lo- that's like my favorite line in the whole series. I know it is. Period. <laughs> Doesn't get better than that. Look at the team still doing that (laughs) two seasons later. Yep. So good. When Katara and Aang return to camp, Sokka and Toph are already up and waiting for them. Oh, hi, Sokka. We were just out on a morning walk, Katara says. Oh, really? A morning walk? Sokka dumps the grass out of Katara's sleeping bag that she was using as a stand-in for her sleeping form. I know you're the painted lady. I know you've been sneaking out at night and I know you've been lying about Appa and feeding him purpleizing tongue berries. This is cute because this is where Toph sticks out her tongue (laughs) and it's purple. It's so good. Chastised, Katara hangs her head and goes to pack to leave. Soon, the group hears a strange whirring sound coming from the river. From the cliff, they spot Fire Nation soldiers heading to the village on jet skis. This is like Fire Nation jet skis, by the way, which is very similar to the real world Coast Guard. Mm. The real world Coast Guard uses patrol boats and like jet ski vessels. So anyway, Sokka turns to his sister and demands to know what she did. She admits to destroying the factory and he's furious. Did you even think this through? He asks. Katara sits with her head bowed, feeling the weight of responsibility for her actions. Sokka continues saying, the army is going to blame the villagers and get revenge. Well, what was I supposed to do? She says, leave, do nothing, he replies. After a tense, quiet moment, Katara turns on him with ferocity in her voice and face. No, I will never, ever turn my back on people who need me. I'm going down to the village and I'm going to do whatever I can. These are the words and the reminder that Sokka needs, because just like Katara, he will never turn his back on her when she needs him. 
it was so refreshing to have this exchange kind of happen because mm-hmm. up until this point, most of the conversations between Katara and Sokka have been very lighthearted mm-hmm. and very like Sokka's the butt of the joke or vice versa. And there, there isn't really a lot of heart between these two characters. This is the first time in a while that we've seen this kind of serious tone happen where we see two different philosophies that we touched on earlier about how to approach yeah. this. One is don't make it worse. And the other is doing nothing is making it worse. Yes. So to have this happen and to have Katara storm off kind of like at first seemed a little out of character because she's usually pretty calm and collected. But the fact that she can't do anything and she's really kind of by doing something, she made it worse. She has to fix it again. She has like she's frustrated. She like has her hands tied almost. And her brother's like, yeah, like I told you so. He's not really helping matters either. Mm-hmm. So it was very I love this dynamic that we're seeing between Katara and Sokka just because it's been so different from what we've seen. Yeah, you know, we were talking about how Sokka is really turning into his strategic mastermind plan guy self. Yeah. And how we're seeing that clearly through the way he's handling their plan for the invasion. I think in a similar way, this is another manifestation of Katara's true character, which is, I am here to help people. I will not turn my back on people who need me, which, by the way, is one of the most powerful lines for Katara so far. Absolutely. And actually, I'm going to retract my statement when I said that it seemed very unlike Katara. I'm going to take that back because now I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking more specifically about the imprisoned episode where she risked life and limb just to help out this group of people, right? There's what, a couple dozen earthbenders that were held captive by the Fire Nation. So Mm -hmm. uh, it is completely like her. It actually is kind of interesting with that lens now where Sokka's grown so much into this new persona almost where he's more mastermind-like. And Katara, while she's grown, this particular part, she has not. She's staying true. She's staying the course. Exactly. Yeah. And that really calls back to what I was saying before about how a lot of her development has been on the bending side, yes. becoming a water bending master. But you're right. Everything else about her character has been consistent because yeah. I totally forgot about in prison, but you're right. She basically responded the exact same way in that episode. This is just a much clearer delivery of her values mm-hmm. and what she will not compromise about. Yes. She puts it in plain terms and is like, I'm just going to go be a one woman army and I'm going to fix this if I can, because I have bending on my side now. Yeah. Yeah. She's a much (laughs) more capable bender. So now she can like kind of learn from her mistakes from imprisoned. Mm -hmm. Yep. Down at the village, the general in charge of the factory, General Mung, stands before the townspeople. I thought we could live as neighbors in peace, but I guess I was wrong. You steal our food, our medicine, and then you destroy our factory. Shu and Doc pop out of the crowd at different times with different hats and say, they didn't do any of that. The painted lady is the one who helped them. Oh, right. The mysterious painted lady did it, replies Mung sarcastically. He holds up a small statue of her and throws it into one of the nearby stolen containers with a Fire Nation emblem on it. He sets fire to a part of the docks and asks where their painted lady is now. Defenseless, the villagers watch as the rest of the Fire Nation soldiers begin to destroy the docks with grappling hooks. Real quick, General Mung is voiced by Daniel Reardon, who played Bu Zheng in The Storm. He was uh, one of the high generals in the Fire Nation military in that flashback scene on Zuko's side. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was also, if you remember the hit Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Jingle All the Way, he played Turbo Man. No, oh, Turbo Man? He's Turbo Man. <laughs> He's Aldwin in Skyrim. 
He's also in Days Gone, which I'm currently playing on Twitch right now. He's I'm actually just met him, which is really cool to see. He's been in Transformers Robots in disguise from the 2000s as Galvatron and Omega Prime. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yep. Those are some really cool roles. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He but they're usually except for Turbo Man. And I don't remember Alduin all too much, but they're generally just like generals. Generally generals. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. You're welcome. <laughs> um, no, on the character, General Mung, mm-hmm. the fact that he has that scar, you know, if you notice, it's a really gnarly scar. It like goes across his yeah. face, over his nose, but it has these like pinching, almost like stitchy looking lines. Yep which is probably indicating the fact that they used metal staples to heal his face. It was that bad of a scar. They'd like stapled his face back together and it just healed really kind of ugly. Yeah. Also, fun fact, General Mung was the second boss in the Avatar The Last Airbender into the Inferno video game. Mm. We have gotten a few questions about if we're going to be covering the games on the show. I do want to let everyone know that we're trying to stick to canonical things in the show in this proper podcast, right? So the fact that they're retellings means we probably won't talk about them on this podcast, but I've been saying maybe some Twitch streams, maybe. Maybe Avatox. Maybe Avatox. So while we're not going to cover it on this podcast, that's not to be said that we're not covering it at all. We're still kind of trying to figure out how that works into everything. So just so everyone knows, Mm -hmm. that's your answer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When the soldiers go to ignite a flammable container, the flames are extinguished multiple times with a gust of wind. A blanket of thick fog rolls down from the cliffs and an eerie pan flute is heard on the wind. The little boy we first saw at the fish stall eagerly says, it's the painted lady. She's coming. Which is like the poltergeist. Which is basically the line from the poltergeist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see your note right there. Yeah, this is just the yeah. poltergeist. Yeah, okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought that. No. This is not a fun fact. This is literally just us recognizing it. Yeah. It is from the poltergeist where the line is they're coming, but it's the same delivery and tone and everything. Yeah. So it's like, or or I think it's they're here is what the line is actually from poltergeist. They're here. I'm like 95% sure. But when I was going through the the wiki and some of the other notes, I was shocked to see that that was not included because it seems so like. It's that like there's no doubt in my mind that it's from the poltergeist, which, if you're not aware, is a classic horror movie starring Craig T. Nelson. Okay, it's funny. So you know how they remade poltergeist in 2015 in the 2015 version. The little girl says they're coming. But you're right. In the original, she says they're here. Okay, yeah. So, you know, it's it's very obviously the poltergeist and it's for a ghost kind of uh-huh. a person, yeah, spirit, spirit, which is a ghost. Ghost. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Fun personal fact about Poltergeist. I saw that movie when I was seven years old and it messed with me. I was not okay after watching that movie so young. There's so many urban myths about that movie that it's wild. I know. Yes, I know. Yeah. Like even Craig T. Nelson, I believe, said a couple different things about it. This is not a Poltergeist podcast, so we won't go into it. But it's definitely one of those things that is like in the, you know, zeitgeist of our culture, I feel like. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. There is no painted lady, General Mung insists. The fog reaches the village and envelops it. In the distance, a deep moaning echoes off the cliffs, along with a rhythmic thudding. We see that it's Appa and Toph, but the soldiers grow uneasy and begin to wonder if it really is the painted lady. The fog parts on the shore to reveal the form of a cloaked woman. 
The spirit rushes across the water to the village and alights onto the dock. We see that it's Gatara in her outfit, and Aang is clinging to the underside of the docks in order to bend through the planks, but the soldiers are shaken. Katara uses waterbending to throw two of their metal boats into the cliffs so that they explode. Then she holds her arm out at the soldiers menacingly. Two of the soldiers grow too spooked and flee on their jet skis, but General Mung is determined to take her on himself. He bends a blast of fire at Katara and Aang quickly launches her into the air with airbending. The young airbender then bends through the dock to knock Mung into the river. When the general surfaces, he finds the painted lady hovering over the water before him, surrounded by fog. Leave this village and never come back, Katara tells him. Without saying another word, he does exactly that. This was such a great sequence. Oh my gosh, it was creepy. And I love the innovation with the rest of the group, how Mm -hmm. Sokka's playing this pan flute and Toph is bending this giant massive rock into the ground to create that rhythmic sound. And Mm -hmm. then again, this actually, here you go. This backs up my theory that Appa was in cahoots with Katara because he's moaning. He knows what was needed of him. Yeah, but like... I don't know that this morning <laughs> doesn't equate quite in my brain. I'm not making that same connection that yours is. It's still just sitting with me a little wrong, but yeah, it's like this shows you what team avatar is capable of when they're all coordinated and they have the same mission. The only person who's not really doing anything or the only character that's not really doing anything is Momo at this point. Yeah. Where is Momo? The animators forgot about Momo again. The writers forgot about Momo again. It's happened before. In my mind, he's eating the purpleizing tongue berries. Is what there he's, you go. he's eating. That's that's what's going on for me. He's lounging on one of their bedrolls. Yeah. A la the King of Omashu. Yes. Yes. <laughs> when he was on that like Shea lounge, yeah. like eating fruit out of a bowl. So good. Yeah. Just like that. Just the purple berries. Yep. Um, something to note really quickly. I don't know where to say this note, so I'm gonna say it right here. This is the first time that we've seen, other than Azula, women firebenders. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it's it's not something I even really like took note of until like a little bit later where I was like, something feels different about this scene. And I was like, wait a minute. That's right. All we've really seen in the Fire Nation army are male soldiers. So yep. again, same thing as in the previous episode, the headband, a nice little touch. It's not thrown in our faces. It's uh, if you notice it, awesome. If you don't, maybe next time, pal. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they would have sent domestic forces to this location, but we did have that fun fact in the headband how most of the domestic forces is made up of female firebenders. That's right. And they were very powerful and often trained the rest of the military. So it could be them. And they're just out here as one of their posts. Yeah, for sure. The villagers cheer and thank the painted lady for protecting them. But when Doc gets too close to her, he sees the face paint rubbing off of her face and recognizes her as the colonial girl. The villagers grow angry and Sokka comes to her defense, reminding them that the army is gone and the factory won't be polluting the river anymore. Katara steps forward and acknowledges what she did. I shouldn't have tricked you, but I felt like I had to do something. It didn't matter if the painted lady is real or not because your problems are real and this river is real. You can't wait around for someone to help you. You have to help yourselves. Doc accepts this message and wonders what they can do. Toph, from behind them in the crowd, uses a deeper voice to suggest that maybe they can clean up the river. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) The suggestion works and the villagers forgive the newcomers. 
Um, imprisoned, everyone, again. Yes, imprisoned, take two. If there's <laughs> one thing that Katara loves more than helping out people who cannot help themselves, it's giving a speech to people yes. who cannot help themselves about how they should help themselves. <laughs> Absolutely. That is in character. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Something I found very interesting is the instant betrayal that the villagers felt after seeing that the painted lady is not the painted lady. Me too. That was very like, it was an almost like instantaneous, like zero to 60, super angry about to riot kind of reaction. And I wonder yeah. how they got that way. The only conclusion I could come to is that they feel so strongly about the painted lady as being theirs. Mm -hmm. And it, it was almost like taken over by this newcomer, this foreigner. Mm -hmm. Like, how could you take our local culture, our protector and use it for your own benefit? Yeah. Like you, you don't live here. You don't know her. Like, how could you? That's kind of how I interpreted it. But you're right. The snap judgment that very quick reaction was a little surprising for me my headcanon i like i love your headcanon that might be my permanent one but where where my mm -hmm. thought process went was they're quick to feel betrayed because they were betrayed by their own country mm. so it's just another strike against them yeah so the they might not there's no evidence to this next statement that i'm about to make but we saw in the headband that everyone is taught to love and praise the fire lord where the people of this small fishing town probably feel the opposite because all these done is pollute mm -hmm. their waters, made them sick, diseased their food source. Uh, it's been a completely negative experience for them to the point where like their town is unrecognizable to be Fire Nation. Yeah, that's a good point. They've been sucked dry. Yeah. So like very much again, I know I mentioned this a little bit last episode, but that whole clear divide between Germany and the rest of the Nazi party is where like my like my head is at with this. It's like, okay, you have people in the world think that like Sokka think that all of Germany are Nazis, but that's not the case as we're seeing here. Not all Fire Nation is ruled and controlled by Ozai. Yeah. Yeah. The citizens of a country don't always represent the country's actions or the country's ideology. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very true. When asked if he can keep their visit and Katara being a waterbender a secret, Doc tells them that keeping his mouth shut is one of his specialties. His brother Shu, on the other hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Katara asks Doc if he's going to help them clean. Doc says, no, he's going to get his brother, Bushi. That guy loves to clean rivers. Oh, Bushi. He switches his hat right in front of them. When Aang tells him he knew he's been the same person this whole time, Doc slash Shu slash Bushi continues to insist he has other brothers and even goes as far as to call one of them crazy. What a trip. The villagers and Team Avatar spend the rest of the day cleaning up the river. Boats and boats of sludge are removed from the water and eventually the water is clear and blue. Later that night, Katara stands on the shore of the river and dips her hands into the newly clean water. Suddenly, a spirit appears before her. The spirit is a woman dressed in a flowing white dress and wide-brimmed straw hat with a veil. Her face is painted with red markings and she's surrounded by mist. Thank you, the painted lady says. And Katara smiles. The painted lady is also voiced by Mae Whitman, who voices Katara. Oh, that's awesome. Yep, yep. It didn't even sound like her. Wow, well done. Well, she's very good at like kind of disguising her voice a little bit. So 
Mm-hmm. That was really cool. There was a little bit of reverb on yeah, it too. too. Yeah, so there was some effects. That helps. Headcanon right here. I'm full of headcanons today. <laughs> I can see that. So there's a theory or a way of thinking that the only way that gods can die, unless you're looking at Norse mythology, is you just stop believing and stop praying and stop acknowledging them and they go away. That's how they wither away. Oh, okay. I've heard of this a couple times. I can't remember where, but there's this like kind of thinking in that regard. So I wonder, because we hadn't heard of the Painted Lady until Katara started helping them and they were like, oh yeah, it must be her. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking that not only is the Painted Lady thanking Katara for helping her town, but I think maybe also bringing her back into existence. Ooh, I like that. Because where else was she? Like, why didn't the Painted Lady actually help this town? Yeah. Or along those lines, maybe she, Katara posing as her, brought the Painted Lady strongly back into Mm. the modern culture Mm -hmm. of the village. Yeah. Like, I could see her being, because they had statues and stuff. They knew of the Painted Lady, but I almost feel like it's like an old legend or an old piece of folklore that maybe the grandparents talked about in the village. But then because Katara brought her to their modern day awareness, they embraced her as part of their active culture. So yes, I think along those lines, the Painted Lady was saying thank you for two reasons. Yeah. Not only for helping, but also for bringing her and her village closer. Yeah. That was just kind of where my head went at in that regard. But it's still really cool to see another spirit that is so similar to Yue. Yeah. And, and also the fact that the moon spirit is complemented by the water spirit. So it's just like another little touch that just makes this world feel a little more richer. And like, there's mm-hmm. no reason that they needed to include that other than world building. And it's appreciated. Yeah. And actually on that note, if you think of Yue's outfit as the moon spirit and the painted lady's outfit as a river spirit, they are very complimentary yes. in style. Like Yue has all the flowing ribbons and swaths of fabric and she's glowing and white and purple. And then the painted lady looks a little more grounded because she has the straw hat and the face markings and the shell on her dress. But she's also white and glowing and ethereal with flowing fabric and stuff. But it's like, you know, the sky version and the land version almost. Yeah. All right. Well, Greg, who is your MVP? I think my MVP is probably, I mean, it's Katara. You can't say it's not Katara. Like, exactly. This is one of those episodes where it was made for the character. They have to be the MVP. Yeah. She stands up for what she believes in. She puts her money where her mouth is and acts on her principles and never Mm -hmm. wavers from them. And like, ultimately, it does work out for the best, but. It only works out for the best once she gets everyone else involved. Yeah. Which is interesting. I guess you could say the runner up would be Sokka for me, but not because he's Sokka, but because he does the same thing as well. He also kind of stands up for what he believes in and doesn't really waver too much. But his philosophy was in action. So I guess he did act upon that, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I have to agree. Yeah, the MVP has to be Katara. It was really centered towards her and what her convictions are and her dedication to helping people and how she used basically her bending and her head and her heart to help this village by disguising herself as one of their local spirits. Yeah. What about the moral of the episode? The moral of the episode, I think for me, is uh, this one's a little tougher. I have a cheeky one. Yeah. (laughs) You want me to go first? Yes, please, please. 
It takes a village to change the world. I like that. I like that a lot. I think my headspace is very similar to that, where I was going to say, sometimes you just need the rest of your team to help out. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I went. You can't do everything on your own. No, Uh, don't be a man of many hats. Ask for help. (laughs) Also that. (laughs) There we go. I'm sticking with that. Nice. Nice. Awesome. Well, that was our episode. Mm -hmm. And that is our episode. If you want to add to the discussion or if you want to share your MVPs or moral of this episode or any of our others, you can email us at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at podcast avatar. And as always, tell your friends about the podcast. That is the best way to support us aside from listening. You can send us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to support us in another way, we have a Patreon you can head over to patreon.com slash avatar the podcast and pledge to one of our tiers, which includes a lot of fun content that we release throughout the month, including a doodle page and ask me anything, blog posts from both Greg and I and secret podcast. Secret podcast. I can sing <laughs> it without being gassed. That was a not great rhyme, but you know what? It's fine. Ah, That was better. There you go. There we go. <laughs> Yeah. And really quickly too, we're going to show this off on maybe an Avatar episode, but I do want to give a quick shout out to at Cody the Cretan for our first ever fan art that is ah! Acorn and I. It's not like, you know, like we've gotten so many cool ones of Zhao the Baker and and we got mm-hmm. um Jet and, and Zuko as like the cool kids club. And yeah, which we are going to feature on an Avatar episode. Yes. So thank you so much. We'll be bringing that to everyone else to see soon. We will show that off. We also, I don't know if you saw this, we got, <laughs> I love it, an actual backstory from, remember Turbo, we brought up, who is the new leader of Jet's crew. We yeah. mentioned it very briefly. We got from Easton a complete backstory to what he thinks turbo is oh and my like how gosh. he interacts it's so cool it's very long but it's so good i read each and every like word and it was just hilarious so special shout out to you guys but yeah cody thank you so so much for that fan art of acorn and myself it's so cool i actually saw it in the middle of a stream and i lost all complete concentration when i saw it <laughs> i just like stopped paying attention to the game and i showed it off so yes thank you thank you thank you and like i said as always if you are caught up on all the episodes, you can always join me over at twitch.tv slash boostergreg on Monday and Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we're playing games, we're phoning friends, we're having a great time. So join me there, please. It's a good time. Yeah. And you can catch both of us on twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration yeah. on the last Friday of every month where we do our live show, Avatar. That's right. You can find me online at Acorn Bandit. You can also find me on joysons.com, J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com, where I create enamel pins. Mm-hmm. Joysons.com. Don't forget the S. <laughs> yep. Every time. Coming up next time. Watch out, Boomerang. There's a new weapon in town. And Water Under the Bridge, Katara's stand-up comedy special. All this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. 
Remember to check out all of our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. <laughs>